Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, please rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. And please tell somebody, just tell somebody, an indefinable number of people, tell them. But but definitely a person, like someone with opposable thumbs that yeah, can work a yeah, phone, not your dog. Your dog. Yeah, that doesn't help dog. us. They don't have they don't have a device. They can't they can't subscribe. Yeah. No. So on the show today, Mike Organ from the Tennessean, who has covered racing for I don't know, Steve, like seventy five years. Like that's probably mean to Mike. I shouldn't say that. So Oregon, forty years, thirty five years. Oregon is is like is like the the great Swiss Army knife of the Tennessean sports staff and has been for years. He came up in a and he mentions this a little bit. He came up in a time that like a lot of people were on different beats. And so he kind of picked up like little pieces and so forth. And so he sort of fashioned this career as like a guy who can do anything. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll see him on a Titans game. Sometimes you'll see him, you know, he's done Preds, he's done everything, but he's done racing for a long time. And so he, and he was one of the guys who was leading the coverage, uh, leading their coverage of the NASCAR race out at super speedway last weekend. So we wanted to bring him in to kind of unpack a bunch of that. And he's exactly. got great perspective and stories, and he's got links to Larry Woody, who was like the original kind of racing writer for the, at least for the Tennessean, and and just just fantastic stuff. Lots of great Earnhardt stories from the weekend. Lots of great Clint Boyer stories from the weekend. Lots of great Petty family stories from the weekend. So nobody better to to have consumed the entire weekend of NASCAR in Nashville for the first time in in almost forty years. Uh, then Mike Oregon. So we're going to talk with him for a good chunk of today's show. And you'll learn a lot about the industry covering racing, the evolution of the fan and the audience and and, and Nashville's relationship uh, with racing as well. And maybe what the future holds for fans in this town. So especially considering what just took place, a couple of sellouts uh, or at least a sellout on Sunday for the cup race, really good crowd in the grandstands for the Xfinity race on Saturday. So we'll get to Mike Oregon coming up in just a minute. We will discuss the Vandy Whistler, but sort of how the media is covering it. And and we'll sort of, I guess, offer up our two cents to a subject that I guess everyone has to have an opinion about at this point. So we will discuss that in just a second. Uh, however, Lamestream is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. It's the next evolution of the sports bar over on West a, End. A place you can eat and park. With air conditioning. The food's good. They also have stuff to drink there. And there's things it's to pretty drink. much it's pretty much a complete operation. Are you a person that likes to eat food and drink alcohol? Then Jasper's is the place for you. Go to Jasper's. Do you like sports? They've got sports. <laughs> Always sports on the on the televisions. So many sports. All of the sports. Uh, all right. Speaking of sports, college baseball, of course, the College World Series in full swing, uh, unless you're, of course, a Tennessee fan. Uh, however, the, the Vanderbilt Whistler, I, I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions here first before we sort of have this discussion from a media standpoint, of course, um, just to sort of set the tone on on where we both stand on some of these issues real fast. No, no, number one, is the Whistler annoying? <laughs> is that a question? Yes, the Whistler is annoying. Okay, the answer is yes. Number two, do you view the Vanderbilt Whistler as a tradition, something like the cowbells at Mississippi State or the Woo Pig Suey, which is also annoying at Arkansas. Do you view it as a tradition? No, because because a tradition by you know by the, the terms that you're setting it out here is something that is that is enjoyed and and participated in by all. Uh, you know, this is a couple of nut jobs. And 
I, I, I cannot express uh, all right. adequately kind of like how much I hate these guys. <laughs> all right. Question number three. If you are buying season tickets to a sporting event and not being like gratuitous or inappropriate around children and families, but you're just sort of annoying, don't, don't you have the right to do that? I, I mean, I, I think this part of it's been litigated. Uh, you know, the, the Vandy people are not going to stop him uh, or or were them because uh, I think it's I think it's two I think it's two different people. So I think that's kind of I think that's kind of moot at this point. If you buy a Vandy baseball season ticket, you know you've got a you get a, you have, you know you have to be in a in a stadium with this nut job. So now I, I guess here here's my here's my last question here. What are we going to accomplish with this conversation or any media member? What can they accomplish by having this conversation about these two particular gentlemen who are completely obnoxious? Well, I, I think it, some people come to Vandy baseball this time of year because they don't go see the games or, you know, they, they're not watch. you know, they don't catch an SEC network broadcast of a Vandy kind of up to this point. So and I think this is true of a lot of college baseball fans. They're coming to it in the postseason. And so they're like, why is my viewing experience being ruined by these individuals? Why is this series of whistles happening on every pitch? It, it, it fascinates me in part that neither Vandy nor the SEC has has tried to do something about this. ESPN tried to do something about this a couple of years ago. Does television have a right, because it affects their broadcast potentially, does television have a right to step in on this? I mean... I think so. I mean, if somebody if somebody was sitting behind the if somebody was sitting beside behind the home plate with an air horn going after the ump every time you know the ump tried to make a call, I think they'd be in their rights to do something. It's just obnoxious, and it's not even the the funny part about it is is Vanderbilt fans have fallen back in. Well, some Vanderbilt fans, a lot of Vanderbilt fans I know hate these guys, but Vanderbilt fans have fallen back into this sort of. Well, it's our thing kind of thing. But, you know, like, uh, again, like, unlike the cowbells, you know, there's not a thousand people walking into a game, you know, whistling. There's two guys. And one of their nicknames is Preacher, which is just terrible. So it just, it's just, it's it's awful and obnoxious. And, and I wish, and I wish somebody could get it into their heads because I I said, so we went to a, a couple of Vanderbilt games late in season. I wish that I wish that those guys could have seen the looks on longtime Vanderbilt season ticket holders and fans around me as I asked about the Whistler and their eyes rolling into the back of their heads because by and large these guys are tolerated, not celebrated. Does it slow or hurt the growth of the Vanderbilt baseball product outward from just the core of Vanderbilt baseball fan? Does it hurt I mean, that? No, I mean there, there's a I mean, there's a cap on on the Vanderbilt baseball product anyway. I mean it, the cap on it is college okay. baseball, and the cap on it is you know how you know however many thousands of people you can put in that stadium, which they're selling out anyway. So, so I, I guess for me, Stephen, I don't know if it, maybe this is wrong. Maybe I've just given up all hope. I don't know. <laughs> like I think it's obnoxious. I've sat right next to him as a press member because the the, the overflow for the press box and for being in the press box it, and the camera deck right there is all right next to where he sits. It is completely obnoxious. I have sort of given up on it, and I am now indifferent to it. So, it, so he won. It feels, it feels almost passe they, to criticize they, them. For they beat, they beat you. They, 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 they just have, and I'm just sort of like, well, if you're going to play 
Vanderbilt, you have to deal with Kumar Rocker's hundred mile an hour fastball and the and the whistler. And like it just it, unfortunately, it has just become a part of the game. I don't think it makes it any less obnoxious. And I think Vanderbilt fans are lying to themselves when they outwardly defend him and say, "Oh no, this is part of our thing. It's part of our tradition." I, I think that they're lying to themselves. I do believe that the, the College World Series product on ESPN with Carl Ravitch calling the games the highest form of college baseball, I do think it hurts enjoying what Vanderbilt really is, which is the best program in America. I, I do think it actually hurts that to some degree, because if the only thing people are tweeting about is this one fan being annoying, whether you've gotten used to it or not, it does take away from the fact that Jack Leiter had 15 strikeouts and went through a complete game. Like it, it does, it does distract from the core message of look at what we do on the baseball field. In, in the middle of that game, which was extraordinary because Leiter, Leiter was throwing this just amazing game and Vanderbilt couldn't pull it out. The, the, the talk all over social media, and again, I get that social media is not real life. I, I Really, I do. I understand Twitter is not real life. But the, all the talk on Twitter is about these jackasses in the stands make, you know, making these sounds throughout uh, you know, a memorable performance and maybe like the last time they'll ever see Leiter. So... I don't know. All right. Again, I don't know what else we can say in the conversation. It has been had for a decade now, and I don't know if Vanderbilt's going to solve the problem. ESPN can't solve the problem. The SEC clearly has no interest. Vanderbilt fans don't want to admit to the problem. All the other fans are annoyed by it round and round. It's just a cul-de-sac. It's a Whistler cul-de-sac that we're stuck in, and we're never going to get out of it. I've given up sort of on having the conversation, I guess. The, the, I guess the only thing I would say is it, I, I think it's up to media to call this guy out because – at some point you have to you have to take a you have to take stock of all of the fans that are in the that are in the stadium and if 80% of the people there hate him it, it, that that's worth that's worth pointing out that it's this guy you know it's these people's egos that are continuing to do this under the guise of some ridiculous tradition as opposed to here's your you know, here's here's your media lesson don't both sides this one don't find the 20% there band. is not there's not another side <laughs> there's not both sides on this one if 10% like him and 90% don't that's not a both sides issue that is that the facts are that the media should report that 90% don't like him if in fact that is of course the, the ratio I'm just making up the number at this point you like how we gone from 70% to 80% to 90% percent. <laughs> 98% of Vanderbilt fans hate this this person no uh, again that, that that's an, that is a media lesson here that that the media's job is not to go out into the Vanderbilt stadium and report that the whistler is happening and that there are one person that likes it and one person that don't the media's job is to report how many people like it and how many people don't, if they can get accurate numbers. So, uh, all right, again, I don't know what we just accomplished. I don't know if we solved any problems. I don't know if the problem will ever be solved, but it is what it is. All right. So, and one other thing here, folks, there's some of, some of you out there who are unhappy with the new kid on the Vanderbilt beat. Hey, oh, come on. Hey, lay off the kid. She's been here about six weeks covering uh, covering Vanderbilt baseball. Some of the uh, comments that are being made uh, are have have anti-Semitic overtones. Some of them are, you know, whatever else. Uh, you know, you can get into this debate here on Twitter, but give her a chance to sink or swim before you decide to. But before you decide to bury her, we all liked Adam Sparks. I mean, he was here. You know, he's been here on the show. We're she's, big fans. She's a lovely person and working hard. Okay. Yeah. Like just give right. give, the, give the kid a chance. Yes. And Adam Sparks highly recommends, by the way. So just keep that in mind. All right. So NASCAR was in town. Three big races. 
big weekend of action. Lots of successes to be talked about. Lots of questions about the future of NASCAR and racing in the city of Nashville. And here to answer all of them and explain all of it. The coverage of NASCAR, how it's evolved in this town, and so much more. Again, lots of great Dale Jr. stories. This was our conversation with the Tennesseans, Mike Organ. Mike, good to see you, man. Thank you for joining us here on the show today. We do appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. Uh, after a hectic weekend, it's uh, good to just be sitting in my living room talking to you guys. Well, I guess we're going to cover a lot of your career, obviously, but but and, and your your role. But let's start with this weekend because you just brought it up, and that's partly why we wanted to talk to you. And NASCAR, 37 years, pretty well documented. A, a Cup Series race had not been here for 37 years. Before we get into sort of the coverage and the buildup and why it's here and, and reaction, I'd love to get your feedback on how the event went. I know there was some complaining about coolers and some traffic, but by and large, it was sold out. It, how did you see the event and how did NASCAR, like how did Nashville receive NASCAR this weekend? I got a call from one of my coworkers early on. Uh, I, I know I not early on, probably around 1230, one o'clock, uh, 1245, uh, saying they wanted to do something on the uh, parking disaster, the long traffic line, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, I said, the news is if there is no traffic and there's no long line, that's the news. This is a NASCAR race. This is that a was a event. that was a colleague of yours that hadn't spent a lot of time at NASCAR races. Yes, right? or, or big events. Yes, yeah. all big events have traffic and long lines. Yes, one, two, three hour lines. I was sitting with Larry Woody, one of our uh, uh, our you know Hall of Fame uh, uh, NASCAR rider that uh, retired from Tennessee about 15 years ago, and Terrell Davis who has Middle Tennessee Racing News. And as soon as they heard me get off the phone, they were like, remind them that uh, we, or tell them that uh, we used to sleep in the car at Talladega the night before. So that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's what you have to do. And that, now the news would have been if you could have just zipped right in and, you know, found your seat, you know, left the house at 1230, one o'clock, you know, so I didn't see that as a, a big, huge issue. I, they'll do some things to fix that. They'll work with the sheriff's department and work on some routes. Uh, I understand there were some people that tried to get out of line and go a different route and then get turned back. So then they lost their place in line. So I understand that was chaotic. But a lot of this was just, you know, the uh, customer has to learn part of this too. The, the fans you have put to a, You put 100,000 people in a place that doesn't take 100,000 people in every day and it's going to take a minute. That's what happens. Exactly. So that being the biggest complaint, you know, if you want to, you know, go ahead and let it be a complaint, then I think it was a fantastic weekend uh, by the organizers. Thought Eric Moses, I know, gosh, he's been praised so much over the last week. His head's probably too big to get into that big facility out there <laughs> at this point. But thought he did a marvelous job over the last, I guess, he's not even been there the whole calendar year. He's only been there about 10 months. And I thought he did a really good job getting the place back in shape. Uh I heard Daryl Waltrip uh, yesterday talking about uh, driving in and thinking that, you know, that they could have had a NASCAR. This looks like a place that had NASCAR the week before that, you know, that has been having NASCAR races. Uh, and uh, just to get it back in, in that kind of condition, I thought was incredible to sell it out. Everybody wants to know now, are they going to expand it, you know, 20,000 next year? I don't think they're going to, guys. I think they're going to keep it exactly where it is at 38. They're going to make it a premium ticket. They're going to make it a hard ticket and uh, uh, make it something special to get into. And I think that's what it's 
they they laid that foundation this past weekend. And then to have Larson's Larson win, uh, I thought that you know just added to the story. Uh, his third straight, fourth straight, if you count the All Star Open or All Star uh, race, that just added to it. Have a great Xfinity race um, with uh, Kyle Busch, you know the hot button issue that he is win, and then have a good trucks race. I thought it was just you know, a slam dunk. And I don't mean to be a homer, but uh, that's just my, my personal feelings about it. So how do you, uh, of all the stuff that you cover and you cover everything, uh, this isn't an arena. This isn't a, you know, this isn't even a football stadium. I mean, this is a big sprawl of an event. And no matter where you operate from, it, you know, there, there's miles of things around you to cover. How do you cover a NASCAR event? You know, it, it's not like it used to be. Steve. You don't go out there and cover X's and O's, you know, who's uh, who was leading after the first stage. And at what point did uh, Larson fall back? And uh, who, who, you know, who led the most during the, the most laps during the second stage? The bottom line is that uh, people can now either be there uh, by video, telephone, uh, television, as always, uh, and if they're not there, they find out seconds after or minutes after however long it want to take to find out who won, who was second, who was third, who was, you know, the, the whole lineup. So you really, you have to figure out a different way to get people interested. So you have to go out and find a hook and, and it makes it a lot more difficult than it used to be in the old days to go out and find something interesting about an event that people can't read anywhere else, or that it's not the popular thing. And so with this race, of course, the nostalgic part of it, the history was involved, and we really got fortunate with this one, with it being a Hendrick Motorsports winner and number the number five car, just like it was 37 years ago when Jeff Bodine won at the uh, National Fairground Speedway. So and with Rick Hendrick being there and being here, that really gave us a hook to do something other than just X's and O's coverage like you're, you're asking about, like we have done in the past. What, what kind of access did you have? Uh, it was great access. It really was. Uh, it was the first, I believe, uh, NASCAR event that uh, uh, had the bullpen, had face-to-face um, uh, interviews. They brought the uh, winner in. They didn't bring in number two through five, but they were in the pits in a bullpen, and you had access to them. You had access to people in the uh, pits uh, leading up to the race. You had access to uh, just about anything you wanted. Uh, it was the closest thing to normal that I've been involved in since the pandemic began. Can can you try to, I don't know how you can summarize this, but sort of Nashville's relationship with racing, NASCAR, stock cars, IndyCar. Like I used to go to the races out there with when it was IndyCar. There seems to be a very large contingent of huge names, Earnhardt Jr. and Dale Waltrip, the guys that are, you know, legends of the sport that have this affinity for the city of Nashville, not only this, this track, but, but the fairgrounds, can you try and, and back? And we've talked to a few people on this show about how high up in the ratings NASCAR races would be in Nashville in the late nineties and the early two thousands. It was one of the premier advertising events on television. Can you try to summarize since maybe 2000, the relationship of the city with racing and why it took so long for it to come back to this? Well, Nashville blew it in the uh, 80s. Nashville at one point had two NASCAR races a year. And then it went to one. And then the city just blew it. The city, its relationship with the fairgrounds, uh, some bad fairgrounds uh, leadership, 
after Gary Baker uh, uh, was uh, no longer the leaseholder. Uh, just a, a combination of things. The stars lined up against the city, and Nashville lost uh, uh, the, uh, its NASCAR race. About the time NASCAR started, uh, an effort that was made to bring NASCAR back was 2000 when the Nashville Super Speedway was built. And of course, all tracks at that point were being built far out like that. So that's why it's out there. And of course, Dover felt like they would, you know, come in and get an Xfinity race, get trucks races, and eventually get a, a cup race there. Unfortunately, by that time, NASCAR had uh, was just absolutely booming and was trying to find a way to grow, even though it was already huge. And its decision was to go out west, go north, go all over the place where it wasn't before and leave its roots because it felt like its roots were there. Well, Nashville was its roots, but this new plan left Nashville without a race. Everywhere else had races where its roots were, but that, that's, that was the delay. And what's really remarkable is that the, the love for the sport remained over these last uh 15, well, 10 years since since it left, uh, or 11 years since it looked like it was going to leave, it was headed away, uh, and, and there was enough passion for it to bring it back. And when we when we had the uh, when we got the uh, awards banquet in 2019, I think NASCAR really started listening to it, its, its fans and especially its drivers. And to a person, every one of them said, "We need to be back here. We need to be in this town." They wanted to be at the fairgrounds, but because nobody was thinking at that time the super speedway. Now they want to be at both places, and Nashville simply is on the brink of being the hotbed of auto racing in the country because we've also got an Indy car race coming here in August. What do you th what do you make of uh, attempts? And, and I just want to cut over to Indy here for a second. That that the race is coming here later, but uh, you know they tried to run Indy car out at that super speedway. Why do you think the super speedway hasn't had consistent racing for as long as it has? Well, I think the, the track surface, uh, it, it made it tough for NASCAR back in the day. And it really made it tough for IndyCar because they go so fast and you were getting that one groove dry racing and you were getting the leader get out there and then nobody could catch them. Now they proved that putting down a resin, uh, could help solve that a lot because every driver said the resin helped tremendously laying down rubber, picking up rubber that the, uh, there was more side-by-side -side racing. There was more four lane racing. So uh, everybody said that helped. In, and in and the, the resin has, the resin has to do with tires and grip. Yes. Yes. Maneuverability. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like spreading something down, you know, uh, uh, to, 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 to make it tacky and, and give you grip and, uh, uh, better braking to a degree. And uh, so it worked for NASCAR. Now the question is, will it work for IndyCar? And I haven't delved in, into it enough to know if that's the case. Uh, I've been laser focused on this race, heading up into it. So these last couple of days, I've started shifting my focus to the Grand Prix. So that's something that, uh, you know, uh, we will get into eventually, but the big thing right now is what, what, what's the track going to be like in downtown Nashville? <laughs> I mean, just imagine those cars going 140 miles over the bridge. It's just, it, I was going to say, there's a little bit of crown on that bridge. I'm waiting for one of those, <laughs> one of those 
things with a jet engine in it to just take off. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I hope those drivers are going to wear uh, life preservers as well as uh, <laughs> everything, all the other safety precautions they take, because they could end up in the river the way I see it. Now, Matt Cruz is a great guy. Uh, Matt Cruz is the uh, uh, president of uh, 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 the uh, Grand Music City Grand Prix. I covered him when he was a kicker at MTSU. And uh, he got into racing right after he got out of school. And uh, uh, he tells me they're going to put nets up or something over the top of the uh, the bridge to keep them from going over. But I just, you know, that's going to be the first thing I'm going to watch for as I'm coming over that bridge. But I, I look forward to this. And this is going to be more of a festival than it is a competitive yeah. race, I think. I mean, the drivers obviously are going to make it uh, competitive, but uh, there's going to be so much going on. This is going to be something like Nashville has never seen. This is going to be three or four days of just concerts and racing and food and concerts and racing that I, I have no idea what to expect. I just know it's going to be big. What's not to love? Food, concerts, racing. Repeat, rinse, repeat. What's not to love about that? What's funny is you, you come down the bridge on the Titan side of things, and there used to be a huge swale when it went from the concrete back to the asphalt. And I'm just curious, I think they fixed some of that, but it'll be interesting to see um, to your point about how that, that the track is laid out. I would have, you know, this is, this is, we're going to talk about, we're focusing on NASCAR today, but I, I will, I am fascinated with why they laid the track out the way they did and not putting it more into downtown. And, and, and I'm sure there's a, a smart answer for that, but we'll, that's, that's a question for another day. Um, you talked about the buildup leading into this weekend. And I, I think I'm a racing fan. I'm sort of a casual racing fan. I used to love NASCAR. I haven't had time to watch it as much as I used to. And I, I don't know if that's to your point, the, the mile and a half, the cookie cutter, sort of the, the big personalities retiring. I, there's a lot of reasons maybe why, but, but interest in the sport has nationally waned a little bit. And I didn't, I didn't feel a ton of buzz leading up into this weekend, but it felt like it should have been celebrated more. Uh, what was the, how does the Tennessean and, and sort of your writing and the work that you have to do, how, how does NASCAR get prioritized and how has that changed over the last 15 or 20 years? Well, you know, uh, I mentioned Larry Woody earlier and Larry Woody was, that was his beat uh, through the seventies and eighties. He was our NASCAR writer. He went to every NASCAR event. Uh, he was, uh, of course we had, like I said earlier, we had two races here. That's all he did was cover NASCAR. And, uh, so obviously it was a priority for us because at the time we didn't have NFL, we didn't have anything but the Nashville sounds and, and didn't get them till 78. So before that, we didn't even have the Nashville sounds. We were covering Vanderbilt football and basketball. We were covering Tennessee from afar. We did have a Tennessee beat writer from around the early part of the seventies on, so NASCAR was probably our number one budget. Uh, I'm sure it was our number one budget uh, event that we covered beat wise and probably put as much time and uh, gave as much coverage to it as anything. So that tells you how far we've gone as far as the Tennessean. Uh, and uh, we, we, Woody was the beat writer up until uh, the cup left. And uh, he continued to write, uh, when will the cup be back? in 85, 86, 87, in 88, <laughs> and I can't remember the uh, PR guy's name, but in 88, the PR uh, guy who had been there for a long time said, all right, Woody, let me put it to you this way. And this is when the Sugar Bowl was the uh, SEC, got the SEC champion. 
He said, let me put it to you this way. NASCAR will come back to Nashville when Vanderbilt wins the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> and, of course, Woody being Larry Woody wrote that and, of course, got a gazillion complaints. But uh, <laughs> it finally got the point across, and Woody didn't call in 89. He didn't call back to NASCAR to ask him when they were coming back. He got the message finally. So, you know, it's kind of been a, on the back burner for us uh, for the last uh, – 12, 13, 14 years, because even in those last years at the Super Speedway, we were just going up and covered it because it was here. And and everybody, and that's why everybody was doing it. You still had some names that were coming up there, Tony Stewart and some of those guys, but uh, uh, Carl Edwards. But uh, uh, it was, you know, it, it moved to the back burner. Well, now we we got to put it right back at the front burner, because like I said, if we're going to become the hotbed for the country, then we're going to have to put some, you know, so give it a lot of attention. Lamestream is brought to you by Jaspers! A little bit shorter than last week, but that's because we're entering elimination round in the Euros this year. Yeah, the Euros are half over now. So but you know you gotta you gotta you gotta save it for the like you gotta save it for like the, the semis and the finals at this point. So I went into Jaspers. Let me ask you a, a, an etiquette question about ordering food. Because I know you're big on the etiquette question. So I went Yes, into... you should order food. <laughs> I'm pro ordering food at restaurants. So I went in, I went into Jasper's, had lunch with a friend last week, and of course the the, the Euros were on. It was awesome. I love to sit down at at, at eleven thirty on a on a Thursday and sit at the bar and order some really good food and watch a, a sporting event. It's wonderful. The Euros are great, as you uh, recommend recommended last week on the show. So I was there early, like 20 minutes early before this person showed up. And I look at the menu and there's like some go-tos on Jasper's menu, right? The things you, if, if someone's never been there before, you're going to order the sweet potato barbecue pork fries with red onion and all these delicious sauces, right? That's a go-to. The collie poppers are like a go-to that you have to sort of have if you're going to be there for the first time. I always order like the shrimp and goodies or maybe like the Don Antonio flatbread. So there's a couple of things that I order, but I went ahead and ordered the collie poppers and the, the uh, barbecue sweet potato pork fries. They were there sitting when he showed up. He sat down and ate a ton of cauliflower. Not a huge pork guy. Doesn't want a bunch of pork in his life. And that's okay. It's his prerogative. Ate a bunch of the sweet potatoes. And so what, what is one supposed to do? I said, look, I'm, I, my bad. I ordered for you. I just wanted to have something here because it's sort of their signature items. When you get here, he, he was very courteous and didn't ask me to order anything else. W what is proper protocol on ordering something for the table before people get there versus... You know, should you go with cauliflower and sweet potato fries? They're not exactly like some people have strong opinions about those two things. Like what was was that the right move, the wrong move? What should I have done? Uh, I, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big fan of having something on the table. Uh, I, and so, you know, the cauliflower poppers are just they're fantastic. And I, I haven't found anybody that doesn't like them. You know, you start adding pork to things and, and you get different opinions. Although <laughs> those sweet potato fries. No, they're amazing. Are, they're fantastic. Um, and clearly your friend has something wrong with them. Well, but, I, I, uh, I, I had not thought of that cauliflower could be divisive or that sweet cauliflower is not divisive. You deep fry that and you you drag it through <laughs> stuff. There ain't nothing divisive about that. Generally, like if I go with like, you know, something a little like chicken wings, it feels like it's hard. It feels like everyone kind of consensus around chicken wings that they're that they're that they're good. I, I don't yeah, know. You, actually, what's divisive is like raw vegetables. I mean. 
Yeah, that's true. You put a bunch of carrot sticks and and like raw broccoli out there. <laughs> I mean, it's not even 50-50. My get my guess is that less than half of people are going to be happy with that. So don't I, do that. I love a nice crudite, but you're right. It's not it's not the go-to. Um, and then I so I offered him. I said, hey, look, I, do you want something else? I'm happy to get you something else. Lunch is on me. I ordered this ahead of time. You know, I was already full and already eaten. I had already kind of eaten my thing, and I had we we had worked our way through the meal, and he was he had crushed a bunch of collie poppers, but wasn't really eating the pork. And I said, do you want me to get you something else? And he said, no, I, I felt bad. And I felt like I'd screwed up. You know what I mean? But well, you probably did. <laughs> when, he when got, it, I mean, he got free food out of it. I mean, what's, what's right. You right. I mean, got free food and drink, I assume. So yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, assume that I screwed up. That's your, that's your best. That's your best. That's bet. good. Good. Good etiquette lesson there. Jasper's didn't do anything wrong in this yeah. entire process. They delivered three amazing dishes had a couple of tall, cool, frosty beverages while watching a soccer match in a wonderful setting. There was people in there. You Your could buddy look- was able to park for free. He came. He probably he probably drove right in. Found a found a spot. I mean, it was it was really easy for him to get there. Parked a car, walked right into the building, sat down, and, and there was food already on the table. So yeah. I got I mean, to look over to somebody next to me, and 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 she asked about what we were eating, and I got to explain it to her, and like we could talk because they were so close that like it felt normal. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Go to Jasper's where life is normal again. (laughs) Tell me what you think about this theory. I I could be totally wrong here, but I think that to your point, a downtown location for an IndyCar race, the fairgrounds, to me, if this event had been at the fairgrounds, I think the buzz would have been off the charts. Like, is that, is that a fair assessment that once the fairgrounds gets involved that this thing sort of has a life of its own and it shoots off like a rocket ship yeah i think it's it's twice two to three times as big going in as far as what you said Braden, about the buzz factor i think it's it's everything's magnified at least two to three times if this isn't the fairgrounds uh there's so much mystery going on there how are you going to do that the the big thing is the crowds have gotten smaller because like I said, you know, we, they only had 38,000 up there. So you could get the fairgrounds up to 30. So, you know, and people would want to see that. How are you going to get even 30 at the fairgrounds? And how are they going to run that small track? I mean, and that's another thing Dale Jr. continues to push for is more small, tr- short track racing. And that they're, you know, that's another reason that he wants them to go to the fairgrounds. And, but when you've got a guy like Dale Earnhardt Jr., who is the voice of, of NASCAR, he's the most influential person outside of the France family right now in NASCAR. And when he has as much passion, and let me assure you, it's a great passion for the fairgrounds as he does, then that will generate a lot of attention and support from amongst the base, the fan base. I thought it was instructive that you that you got national ads with Dale Jr. and Brad Paisley in them in the run-up to this race that you're not getting you're not getting much of that in, in, in other races. Yeah. Uh, and they capitalized on so many of the country music stars and music stars in general. That Pitbull was there, and uh, uh, a lot of country music stars were there. They did a really good job in in capitalizing on that, and like you said, getting nationally known, you know, big names. And, and I thought they did a good job with that. And the advertisement with Brad Paisley was the first time we heard anything positive from Dale Jr. about the Super Speedway. Everything he had been talking about was the fairgrounds up until that point. And I can just tell you that the uh, 
Dover and the super speedway was getting a little frustrated with it. And they were like, <laughs> when is he going to finally start talking about our race? And he finally did in that ad, which I thought was a pretty cool ad. Anything he does is pretty cool though. I mean, and then you put yeah. it with Brad Paisley, but I thought that was a stroke of genius to, the, to put those two guys together. And that was the first time that he started talking a little bit more positively about the, uh, the track. I talked to Dale Jr. On the Monday before the race and he was a little more upbeat about it. Uh, and I think it was, and I know for sure it was because NBC told him to be, uh, because I had spoken <laughs> to him. He was here at the fairgrounds about a month ago, and he was still pushing, pushing, pushing for the fairgrounds and told me we were cannibalizing ourselves by putting two, trying to have two races so close together. So he had changed his tone by that Monday. And then by the time he got here, he got here on Thursday. And when he saw the track, I think it was genuinely impressed uh he tweeted out that he was he was very uh impressed uh very surprised at what they had done at a track that had been laying dormant for 10 years and i think it i think that was sincere i think it really did catch him off guard and he kind of changed his tune what he told me was a rising tide lifts all boats and he was like i hope that we can have so much just enthusiasm and wild success from this weekend that people will say let's give nashville another race well, it, it's it is such a logical step because, uh, like, you, you think about all the different corporate sponsors and the bars downtown with all the musicians who all own their own bars and have the like the the private corporate parties were probably all weekend long at every private room that that the honky tonks could offer. Like, there's just it makes too much sense for all of this not to be working together. And and I think to your point, like the fairgrounds can absolutely be a part of this. There's there's logistical questions, but. It just feels like Nashville to be as popular as it is for the NHL and for the, for the for football and college football and college basketball and all this stuff. Like it just doesn't make any sense for NASCAR to not be capitalizing on the interest level in this city. Yeah, anything you tell me now that Nashville might get, I don't poo-poo on any of that. I, I used to, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd hear for years we're going to get a football team, and I'd just laugh about it. You know, for years we're going to get an NBA team. Now the NHL thing kind of came up and just grabbed hold and, and took, you know, just happened uh, without us even having a chance to uh, think it wasn't going to happen. But now I'm completely the polar opposite on that. Anything you tell me could come, I think, you know, there's a very good chance. Baseball now we're hearing that may, Major League may come here. I think there's a good chance. But And for us to have two races here, I think Steve doesn't believe in baseball. Steve, Steve, doesn't <laughs> Steve is shaking his head. No, we will never get baseball. But, but that's hey. – that's fine with me. We've got that, enough on that, our that is a, right that, now. <laughs> that, is a, that is a hobby horse of my own. Um, I will say, tell you one other thing, though, that was pretty cool. What uh, uh, Clint Boyer told me when uh, we were, uh, I asked him about racing at the fairgrounds, and he was like, hey, he's the only person that told me, he goes, I want it out there in Lebanon. And I said, why? And he goes, I don't need to be that close to Second Avenue. I don't need <laughs> to be that close to all those bars on Lower Broad. I need to be. That's a, just enough of a buffer for me. To be. And anybody knows that guy knows that's that that's true too. Oh, that's, I'm gonna, that's some Tony Stewart level stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I told Earnhardt that. I told Dale Jr. that, and he goes, "Hey, he's not the only one." He goes, "There's <laughs> of those other guys are in that same boat." Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about Woody uh, being out there because uh, I saw I saw a few tweets about what was it what was it Woody didn't go see uh, didn't go see the patties. Okay, so we uh, <laughs> we're walking around. It, it's crazy to be with Larry Woody. We're walking around. And I hear somebody holler, "Go Woody!" We look up and it's Kyle uh, Kyle Petty. 
So he says, come see me later. So later on, I guess the, I guess it was on Sunday, me and Woody go to the, the uh, Petty Hauler. And Kyle's out there, and uh, he goes, uh, we talked to him a little bit. And then he goes, where's your dad? And he goes, well, he's in the bu- uh, the bus. It's a little bit more cooler over there. And he goes, okay, well, I was hoping to see him, but that's all right. And then he goes, no, go to the bus and see him. And Woody says, uh, no, nah, just text him and say, tell him Larry said hi. And he says, uh, he doesn't have a phone. <laughs> Richard doesn't have a phone. <laughs> and then the rest of that story, I didn't include this in that tweet you read, Steve, was Woody doesn't have a phone either. So, <laughs> he has a phone, but it's a flip phone. You can't text on I was going to say, uh, that a flip phone is about par for the course. Yeah, yeah. so he has, a, he has like a red, shiny flip phone. And, uh, <laughs> But he couldn't text either, so we didn't get to see Richard, which was I was hoping for. Headline, um, writer can't contact source due to technological difficulties on both ends of the communication (laughs) spectrum. (laughs) Ask Kyle Petty for help. Um, I would I would have liked Kyle did the played the Opry I guess uh, Friday night, and I would like to have gone to that, but uh, just had too much going on. How has the the NASCAR fan changed in in 15 or 20 years? You've been writing for them for a long time. You already talked about how you had to cover it. You know, you're not covering like, all right, who had the last green flag pit stop and how much was left on the tank and what type of tires did they take? Like you didn't, you're not covering it that way anymore. Is that, is that the biggest change? But how, how has the audience changed the fan? The biggest change is the diversity that, that I see now. Uh, there, there, it is not the typical fan that you thought about in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, which were all guys that looked like me and you guys. Uh, it was just a lot of, you know, uh, middle aged, uh, young to middle aged to old white guys. That's all it was. And now I see a whole lot more diverse crowd. Uh, I see a lot of minorities uh, uh, getting involved. Uh, and interestingly, Brandon Thompson, who is from here, is the is, who's from he went to Pearl Cone and would have gone to Tennessee State, but I think he got a scholarship to Clark in Atlanta. He is now the head of the driver minority, the, the diversity uh, uh, driving uh, uh, program that they have that Bubba Wallace came out of and uh, Suarez came out of and a lot of them have. And he's going to be a track uh, president someday. Just count on that. And uh the, to, to see more uh, uh, more color in the uh, the cra- in the grandstands, you see that uh, that's probably the biggest thing in interest. And you know, Alvin Kamara shows up the second day, heavily involved. Not just uh, you know, Justin Timberlake is is involved in the Grand the Music City Grand Prix, and he's giving them a lot of money. But I don't expect him to you know put a lot of his time into it. Alvin Kamara was insistent that this is this is something he's doing maybe his top priority outside of football uh is working in this uh it's a diversity training class uh within nascar and uh really takes it seriously and uh pitbull is uh really heavily involved uh hispanic guy uh really heavily heavily involved in the justin marks team which is going to come to nashville and uh, uh, really passionate about that and trying to do the same thing in NASCAR that he did in music. Now, if you would have heard that there was going to be something done in NASCAR that was being done in music back in the 80s or 70s, you'd say, yeah, I understand that country music, you know, Marty Robbins, all these guys. But uh, now this is uh, now we're talking about a rapper that's getting involved in NASCAR. So that tells you everything you need to know. Would, when this thing transports to the to the uh fairgrounds 
how's it gonna how's it gonna change? How's the atmosphere gonna be different? How is the racing gonna be different? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, one's a super speedway, one's a real tight little oval. Uh, but but what's the what's the shift gonna be like? I think that's going to be the biggest thing is the racing is going to be completely different because if you want good racing, you're going to have great racing out there. I mean, to go from such a big track to such a small track is going to be, there's going to be so much passing, lapping, uh, and I hate to say it, but, uh, and fans won't hate to hear it, but crashing, there's just going to be so much, it's just going to be a completely different race. Uh, it's, it's wide enough to pass and it's short enough you know, to, to try to, 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 to not let anybody run away with it. So I think that's going to be completely different. Now, the logistics are going to be tough, uh, but maybe, you know, the, the, we talked about it earlier, the parking out there at the super speedway was one thing you're going to be looking at maybe 80 to 85% uh, parking being remote at the, at the speedway. Uh, they'll be able to get in about 20% and then everything else will be out at the Titans, uh, the, the Nissan, they'll uh, uh, drive them over. So they, they, a lot of that's going to be uh, remote, but again, you're not going to be trying to get that many in. I mean, you're only going to be getting 25 to 30,000 people in. So, but I think it's just going to be a completely different thing. And it's going to be, I, I guess, Chase Elliott. Uh, I talked to him two days before the race and I said, why, what, what's your passion for the fairgrounds other than the fa fact that you started racing there when you were 13 and your dad was a you know, two-time winner there. He said, that's our last chance to have a cup race that close to downtown, that in a big city, and Nashville's a big city now, in a big city, instead of being way out, you know, and like at the time he said, like the super speedway to have it in a metropolitan area like that. And he said, we have got to capitalize on that because we're not going to get that chance anywhere else. They're not going to build any uh, uh, tracks uh, in the future that close to town. And they're not going to have any that close, that close to a town. So is there not a lesson there for the decision makers, you know, in NASCAR that they, they tried the mile and a half cookie cutter thing for a long time. They tried all these, these big, you know, spacious tracks out in the middle of nowhere. Like I, I do they not see the? I know they see the dwindling attendance and the ratings. They see all the interest sort of waning. Do they not understand that diversity attracts? Like I watched the Eldora truck race in the dirt, and I'm like, this is different. I enjoy it. It's funny. It's fun to it's fun to watch. Like, did they not understand that if you do, if you have more opportunities like the Nashville Fairgrounds, that that could fix some of the issues that they're dealing with? I think that's exactly right. I, th I think you hit on it exactly. All the new stuff they're doing this year, three new tracks, the dirt, the road courses, all the stuff they're doing this year is an indication that, hey, we're giving up. What, what, what do we need to do? And they're finally listening to their fan base and other people. And I think that's why uh, they'll, they'll come to the fairgrounds. I, a lot of people say it's, you know, 50-50 or whatever. I, I am now – swayed over to beyond the 50-50, and I believe they'll come to the fairgrounds because I believe NASCAR is listening to people who are telling them you got to do something different. You got What you've been doing is not is not working. The cookie cutters, as you said, Braden, are not working, and going to places where the interest isn't there, you're not going to generate the interest. Go back to what you were doing and do different things as well, and I think that that's the combination, and I think that, that Nashville offers them both of that. And at this point, Nashville is something that would be drastically different, but at the same time, it would be going back to its roots. The thing, the thing I think too, is that when you put it at some place like the fairgrounds in that tight little track, you have a chance to build a TV experience 
that is much different than on these big sprawling tracks. Uh, you know, I, I think of like, I think of something like the races at Bristol where you have those overhead shots that are that, where you can, you can, I mean, it's like watching a video game. You can watch the racing that's happening in and out for long stretches of time and not just not, you're not just on the leaders or you're not just uh, you're not all spread out all over the track. It, it it seems to me there's an opportunity there, particularly if they're not going to draw, they're not going to draw hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people at these big tracks anymore. Then then build it for build it for TV. Do do a, like a lot of interesting kind of camera things, a lot of kind of interesting uh, technology things that that let you really in on the experience. And and the and the fairgrounds track has has the potential to do that. I think at the fairgrounds track to that point, Steve, you would have you'd be able to see first and first through fifteen in the same shot at almost throughout the race, uh, as long as somebody just didn't get way out. And, and Larson was way out, at least he was in the lead for what two hundred forty nine or whatever it was laps in this race. But he didn't have enough of a lead that would have kept a shot having that kind of shot. If you'd have been so focused on him at the fairgrounds, you would have still had. 12, 14, 15 cars in the shot. And I think that is very intriguing because you can see it on the chart over there where they are, but you don't know where the others are. And in this, I don't think you'd need that. You'd have need for that because you'd be able to see what was going on in the back. And and again, we, that goes back to how much different it would be. And, and it's like it's like the the indie rock club scene in Nashville. Like you, you want that, that smaller, more intimate venue, like play to its strengths like right you're not going to get a hundred thousand people so play to its strength so um i guess what do you want people to know media or fan or otherwise about covering racing and nascar i've done it a little bit in my career but not even anywhere close to to the level that you have what do you want people to know that maybe they don't know about covering racing i i think the personalities are getting interesting again and, and I hope NASCAR will expound upon that and get these guys to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to get these guys to be more colorful and forthcoming with who they are and what they do. The Larson story, I didn't even know until this weekend how involved this guy is fascinating. I mean, for one thing, he's about the size of a seventh grader. He's like five <laughs> foot five, weighs about 130 pounds. And it, I have no doubt why I'm a, a car goes so fast with him in it because it's like it has no one in it. But on top of that, this guy will leave after winning a cup race on Sunday and go to some remote part of Cleveland and run in a dirt race and win $6,000. And then he'll stay there and run the next night. And this is what he did last week. And he'll run the next night and not win. And then he'll go somewhere else and run a pro late model series on a Thursday or Friday night in his mobile home driving this. And then he will drive in to Nashville and park his mobile home on the campus at the super speedway at four o'clock and go to sleep and then wake up for qualifying or for a practice or for whatever he's got to do. The guy's fascinating. And these stories need to be told. I mean, I knew he'd won three straight races. I knew, I thought I knew what you needed to know about Kyle Larson. I didn't know this. I didn't know anything about the guy. And this is fascinating stuff. And and Rick Hendrick, how big, you know, to give him the number five, which is the number, the top number in the organization. He saw this in him. And Rick Hendrick has never let his drivers, or has always kind of frowned upon his drivers, letting anything other than 
Cup Series be their priority. But he, you know, no matter how old and stuck in his ways he was, he said, you know what, this guy's going out during the week and he's becoming an even better driver Monday through Friday by doing all this other stuff. And he, that's why he's letting him do it. And now he's letting his other drivers do that too. He's lifted those restrictions because he's seen what it's done for Larson. So I just want people to get to know the drivers because that's what has fascinated me because while we have kind of covered it from afar, but not so much, we, we had not gotten into it enough to, to learn the individual uh, peculiarities of these guys and I'm sure all the other guys have similar stories, but uh, it's just, a, I think that's the most fascinating thing that happened to me over the weekend. Well, it, it sounds like uh, it was a huge success. Big crowds on Saturday and Sunday sold out. Um, lots of good reviews from the experience. And uh, a lot of people that, that have loved NASCAR for a while get to actually go to something um, in this town. I think it's, it, it, it has been a success. So Mike, thank you so much. We do appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Great insight. Uh, and keep up, uh, keep up the grinding. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I will, guys. Good to be with you guys both, and uh, love to be with you anytime. Special thanks, of course, to Mike Organ of the Tennessean. And uh, this was off the air, but I, but Adam Vingan had just left. We were taping the Gold Standard podcast, and Adam Vingan had just left. And he's a big fan of Mike Organ. He said, "Man, I call him the Organ Grinder because he just grinds it out and works on so many different beats and does so many different things." And certainly through that conversation, you can hear all the different things that that he's done. I love that you're putting a gruffness in your voice as you're yeah. doing Adam when Adam does not have a gruff voice. Organ has like the <laughs> gruffest voice in the world. Or, organ sounds like you know. It sounds like he's had just like the roughest life in the world. He's just like, ah, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and then Adam walks out and he goes, and then when he's, and then when he's picking up shifts on other beats, he's the organ donor. <laughs> See, there's, that's a good Adam. <laughs> I like better. It. That better? That's much better. Uh, no, Mike, Mike, I love, I love his perspective, man. Just a veteran been around a long time, done a lot of things and you can tell his tie and connection and passion about racing and, and sort of has a really great perspective on not only the past, the present, but also the future of racing with Nashville and, and, and any form of racing, frankly, Oregon's a great reporter. Uh, he's been like, he's been kind of the thread. That's kind of the through line for the Tennessean staff as it's changed over the years, as, as it's gotten smaller. I mean, we didn't talk about that, but I mean, it's gotten a lot smaller while he's, you know, spent his entire career there. And yet he's the guy who is, is always, uh, who, who's always there. Who's the resource for the, you know, the kids that they brought in, who's the, the person who's versatile enough to be able to, to cover multiple things. He makes that staff work in, in, in a lot of different ways. We'll have Oregon back at, at some point because he's got a metric ton of stories about a bunch of different things. Uh, and, and kind of, if I can go like kind of straight into recommendations here. Yeah. Go for uh, it. Yeah. My recommendation is he has a Sunday column it's like an old style notes column. It, it, it is the one of my favorite things that's in that's in the paper. It, it is full of tidbits because he's talked to like half the assistant coaches, in, you know, in in the mid state. Uh, he's got sources from everywhere. There's, you know, there's outdoor stuff that kind of shows up in there. There's all manner of sports. It, it's just there's always something great in it. And nobody has the nobody has sort of the breadth of sourcing for middle Tennessee sports that Oregon does. And that, that column is just, that column's just fantastic. It, it, it's in the, it's in the Sunday sports section. I think it's, 
if you get the paper, I think it's on page two, but it is just great. And I, I will forever stand for Mike Oregon because that guy is awesome. I, I can't argue with any of that. Uh, I'm going to sort of piggyback. And, and so I, I find it difficult for a few different sports to find like really good data and information and, and, and without going into like individual papers covering ind- individual races all over the country, I think it's, there's not a really good coalesced location for a lot of sports, including racing. And I think, you know, the sports reference sites are really, really good. You know, we've talked about CFB stats for college football. You brought up a few soccer sites. There, there's a few, you sort of have to rely on these, I don't want to call them underground, but like these independent locations. And it used to be independent. I'm not 100% sure who owns it now, but there's a website called jayski.com, J-A-Y-S-K-I.com. And if you, if you are a diehard race fan, you probably already know about it and you probably already use it. But if you are trying to get back into racing, kind of like me, because I'm a guy who used to really like it. I was very much into it. I kind of drifted away from the sport, but I'd like to drift back if they're going to continue to do things like race at the fairgrounds or try to race at the fairgrounds. And if you want to get every possible bit of data and information, every possible story, every tiny bit of, of like qualifying news or race results or penalty results or season results, playoff standings, anything you could possibly need jayski.com has it. So if you want to you know find a source that allows you to kind of find your way back into NASCAR, I think jayski.com is a site that you need to have bookmarked and that you need to go check out. Um, there's other great companies. MRN is a, is a great radio network that handles motorsports racing. A lot of great people, the you know the the Godfather, Pete Pistoni, you know Angie Skinner, there's a lot of great people that you can follow that 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 handle racing and and I just think it's there's a lot of places you can go. They're just not all the big mainstream site, if that makes sense. If, for instance, you want to know, like the lead item on JSK right now, who is going to be on? Uh, who's going to be on the poll at the Pocono Organics CBD 325 this weekend? I mean, it's it's Kyle Larson, but um, <laughs> I just it's, really, it is I, really, a, I really it, just wanted to point out that that NASCAR is now being is now being has sponsored races by organic CBD oil places. It's pretty good. They will take your money. There's no question about that. So it's interesting. Again, I just go check out the site, uh, jayski.com, uh, J-A-Y-S-K-I.com, and make sure you're reading Mike Oregon. So th- there, there you have it. Uh, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by? Jaspers. Mm, Jaspers. <laughs> I like that. Free parking, great food, great place to watch the game. You got NBA Finals, NBA, uh, NHL Finals. You got the College World Series still going on. You got race weekends. You, you got all kinds of good stuff. The Euros are still going. Elimination round starts this weekend. Can't wait for that. So knockout round, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Copa America is still going. Is still going, and U.S. Gold Cup action will start soon. So and their happy hour, which puts all the other happy hours to shame at Jasper's, still going strong. Four to six every single day. Great drink and and appetizer specials, as well as the weekly rundown, which gives you a different special different every single night of the week from from uh, six to close so go check it out jaspers.restaurant is the website you can see all the great stuff there the menu's great and the parking is free always free perpetually perpetually free steve where can people find you brayden that's glad you asked uh they can <laughs> find me on the twitters at scavendish where can they find you on social media at brayden gall on twitter at brayden d gall on instagram at 440 sports on twitter and facebook at 440 Media on Instagram. Look at all that stuff. Keep it all straight in your head. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe. Always subscribe. Share the show. Just destroy that subscribe button. Just smash it. Stomp on it. Pound it. 
you know, beat it to death. That that subscribe button. Just just take take out all of your anger anger on the whistler on your subscribe button. I'm glad you've come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> there, there you have it. For Steve Cavendish, special thanks to Mike Oregon. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.